I would say we've had imposter syndrome about talking about imposter syndrome. That's true. Wow, who would have thought that this Compton girl would actually become a scientist? Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. It's our holiday show. This week, we hear an uplifting story from a scientist who went from Compton to the Ivy League and beyond. Stay with us. Back we are. I think you've done that one before. You had to do a different one. I did it before, but yet another Star Wars movie's out. Oh my gosh. It's going to happen every year now, isn't it? I've been waiting a whole year since the last Star Wars movie came out. And in another 10 minutes, there'll be another one, so... Yeah, well, this this episode will probably air on Monday, and so I have to somehow... It's now Friday. I have to survive the weekend without hearing any spoilers. Is it already out? Uh, It came out last night, I think. Hey, do you want to know who dies in the end? (laughs) Everybody. (laughs) No. Don't make me kill you, Dan. You know, I haven't seen the last five of them, right? I know. Okay. I know. You do know Star Wars is coming out. You've probably, at least, you're aware I, that that's happening. I did hear that, yeah. Yeah. You hang out with enough geeks that you probably... Tis the season, Josh, right? The season for big, epic movies. And the holidays. Yep. Happy holidays. Yeah, you're uh, entire, like, the neighborhood's looking good. Um, yeah, I wish the studio is festive. We've got our Christmas tree up, and... Uh, Lights in the windows. Very fun. Yeah. Pretty neat. Also, Dan, I have a special treat for you. Oh, good. As promised, we're going to make a special tasty holiday beverage tonight. Uh, with ethanol, I hope? With ethanol. We're going to make homemade eggnog, courtesy of the uh, recipe of Alton Brown. Oh, I like him. Yeah, he's kind of a scientist, right? I think it was when we were in grad school. I would say we both went through quite an Alton Brown good eats phase. Yeah, he he's fun. And, and I think the same was true for uh, Cook's Illustrated in America's Test Kitchen. It's like the scientist approach to cooking. It's, it's food science. Yeah, absolutely. So this is tasty eggnog. This recipe actually changed my whole perception of eggnog because I always thought I hated eggnog because of the yellowish liquid that comes in the carton for about a yeah. month before the Christmas season. Everybody who's listening out there, go to your refrigerator, if you have eggnog in there, and pour it down the sink, and then go uh, get the ingredients for this eggnog. Yeah, I this is a like totally, totally different beverage. Although I have to tell you, so I was Googling to uh, get the recipe earlier today, and he's come out with a brand new updated eggnog recipe. So I haven't had this one before? Well, well the new one is called Alton Brown's Aged eggnog and we don't have time for that and uh in the first paragraph it was you have to let it sit at least two weeks so we ain't making that one wait a minute with egg in it well actually dan he said two weeks is the minimum a month is better two months is even better a year is probably fine okay well if you would like to die <laughs> then wait more than about 30 minutes for your raw egg i was reading the reviews on that one and people were saying like oh i made two big jars of it and one I left in the fridge all year and forgot about it and then tried it the next year and it was great. Okay, well, fascinating. Next year, uh, 2017 Christmas, tune back in for the <laughs> aged eggnog. Yeah, yeah. So I thought well, we could do something different, Dan. thought we could take the listeners with us into the kitchen. Let's do it. That sounds like fun. All right. Okay, from the refrigerator, I've retrieved heavy cream. Heavy cream. Whole milk. And since we couldn't find pasteurized eggs, I bought this. I thought you'd appreciate this. Pasteurized? 
pasture raised, pasteurized. Same yeah, thing. These were raised on pasture, which I uh, I think is fine. Salmonella respects a good homophone, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they won't know the difference. They trick them. All right, Dan, so I'm going to give you some jobs. So the thing with the eggnog is you actually have to separate the eggs, the yolks from the whites. Oh, I didn't get enough eggs. This takes how many? Are we just four. Your... Just four, yeah. you got plenty. Four, four egg whites. Four, four egg, egg yolks, oak. four egg whites. So, oh, okay. so one egg contains a white and a yolk. So <laughs> it's actually... Only these pasture-raised ones. <laughs> That's right. Normally it's two separate eggs. All right, Dan, so are you, do you feel comfortable with your egg separating abilities? Yeah, I'm decent. Got four egg yolks and four egg whites. Now what I'm doing, I'm getting out a third of a cup of sugar here. And actually this recipe says a third of a cup plus one tablespoon. But like any protocol, if I think something's stupid, I'm not going to pay attention. So we're just going to do a third of a cup. Because and you graduated, yeah? <laughs> that's a little too finicky for me. That's, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm probably going to complain about this later. Well, like, and you know, sugar is one of those ingredients that really is to taste. It's not something that has to be exact right here. And you know, Dan, I, as you know, I've been trying to cut down on my sugar intake. So we're going to leave that one tablespoon Perfect. out. This is a healthy choice. I did the egg method. There are four perfect yolks. That's beautiful. So this is exciting. We get to get out our stand mixer. Notice you're washing your hands after the eggs, which you didn't need to do because these are pasture-raised. Pasture-raised. Don't worry about it. And I want to point out, this is not cooked in any way, so you're washing it off your hands to protect yourself, but we're actually going to consume these raw eggs. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to drink them in I'm giant ready. gulps. But All right, Dan, this is what I need to do. You're on the team eggs, so okay. I want you to beat these egg yolks until they lighten up in color. Just the yolks. Yeah. Okay, you realize we're not going to be able to record at all during this process. You better lay out what we're about to do. Okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to beat the egg yolks until they lighten in color, and then we're going to gradually add the third cup of sugar and continue to beat until it's completely dissolved. Okay, we will be back after we turn on this stand mixer, and you will not have to listen <laughs> to it. All right, Dan, we're also, this is important. This is probably the most important step and that's the nutmeg so it's really the only spice in this is the nutmeg it smells good i smell it yeah so the key is you got to use fresh nutmeg do not buy the little the little canister of the powdered nutmeg it's not the same thing get the nut and the thing about the nutmeg you know this is probably my favorite thing to do my favorite cooking action to do is this grating is. grating a nutmeg is that right you should do it more often i should i should because look at that Look at that design. Yeah, it's pretty incredible it's so, inside. If you've never grated a fresh nutmeg nut, they're pretty weird inside. Yeah, if you've never done it, go get your nutmeg, grate it, just to look at it and smell it. No, think, go get yourself a nutmeg and a microplane. There's only <laughs> two easy steps. <laughs> two easy steps. Uh, all right, I'm going to grate this. I love the smell. Great. How much do we need? I actually don't know. Like what? Tablespoon? But no, wait, a wait. tablespoon? We need some garnish. So that's the other thing. You sprinkle a little nutmeg on top. That's so cool. probably a tablespoon plus one teaspoon dish. <laughs> Let's be honest. I have like 20 nutmegs over here. <laughs> that is more nutmeg than you will use in the next 10 batches of... One teaspoon. One teaspoon. You have achieved it. Okay. That's pretty good. So egg yolks are lightening. You poured in the sugar. That's okay. all in there. I did it so gradually. All right, Dan. So a key ingredient and the reason we can actually... Use the segnog in our ethanol section is we're going to add some bourbon to and this. I noticed you have some pretty decent bourbon that you're adding to the segnog. Yes, yeah, so we're adding some Woodford Reserve. Yeah, I would have uh, gone to the bottom shelf of the cabinet, not the top. But Well, this 
It's happened to be what I had. Okay, we'll take it. All right, so we're doing the Woodford Reserve. Can I have a virgin eggnog and my bourbon served <laughs> meat? You know? Yeah, the best way to have this Woodford Reserve is to avoid the eggnog entirely. <laughs> Just, no, so I will say my recommendation, if you're not a bourbon drinker, or even if you are for this eggnog recipe, is I would say Maker's Mark is probably my top recommendation yeah. as far as a good balance, taste to price point. I've made this with Jim Beam also, which is a lower price point. I would not go lower than the Jim Beam if I were you, um, but I would certainly not go higher than the Maker's Mark or the Woodford Reserve. Yeah, I would not go higher than the Maker's Mark. Yeah, I'm adding this because it's what I have. Okay, great. So, all right, so you've got the egg whites lightened, the sugar's in, we're going to add milk, heavy cream, and then we're going to add three ounces of this bourbon. Here. All right, I'm firing back up the all mixer. That was good. All right, so that looks delicious. So there's the yolk mixture. I guess that's sort of a custard, wouldn't it, Dan? An uncooked. You got me. <laughs> I don't know. All right, so you did a great job with that. I'm professional. Oh, it smells good. Yeah, give it a, give it a whiff. Nutmeg and hint of bourbon on there. Hint of bourbon. Oh yeah. Take a big smell. You can really get some bourbon. Yeah, you're worried about me washing my hands and stuck my whole face into the bowl. <laughs> I think there's a beard hair in there. <laughs> All right, we're going to put this in to chill. I'm going to let you wash this bowl, and then we're going to get to the whites. All right, what are we doing with egg whites? All right, Dan, we're going to beat these egg whites into soft peaks. And then we're going to add a tablespoon of sugar after all. Turns out that's what the tablespoon was for. <laughs> you had no <laughs> tablespoon. And then we're going we're gonna to keep going until we get uh, stiff peaks. Okay, here okay. it goes. Here we go. Nice peaks. Thanks. So now we're going to get our yolk mixture out of the fridge. Where it has been for minutes. It's chilled for at least five minutes. Tens of seconds. <laughs> Alright, or in this podcast time for probably five to ten seconds. All right, we're going to fold all that in. I used to working this hard for my ethanol. Look at that. Nice looking egg whites, Dan. You don't get this from a carton, I'm telling you. No, that's true. You shake it a lot, put it into a <laughs> paint true. mixer or something. That's true. I wonder if you could take your carton of eggnog, throw it in your stand mixer, and beat the bejesus <laughs> yeah. out. Let's see what happens. All right. What's drinkable? So let's get a ladle. Mugs. So we have our mugs. And Dan, I couldn't resist. I got a red mug and a green mug. Which one do I get? Whichever one suits your fancy. All right, and a key step, Dan. Nope, not ready yet. We gotta put a little freshly grated nutmeg on top for a garnish. The great thing about this, Dan, the whites kind of come to the top, so you get this sort of foamy. Do you ever do you ever drink a cappuccino? I do. Kind of get that cappuccino effect with the froth at the top. Delicious. No, no truth. So the secret is don't inhale the nutmeg dust off the top as you drink it, I guess. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Let's Man. try it. I mean, all it is, that is extremely decadent. Oh, yeah. That's good stuff right there. It's like um, if, if you were eating ice cream, but it weren't super cold, like it, but it's still that thick. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely get the thickness of the egg whites at the top, but then you get the slightly liquidy, sweet sweetness of the yolk mixture that comes through. 
Hint really of, silky smooth. Hint of bourbon. Very, very good. Mm. I don't even taste the salmonella. <laughs> we'll find out in a day or two. <laughs> Just hang on. If pasteurized and pasteurized are actually the same thing. They're close enough. Pretty good. All right. Well, on with the show. All right, Dan, you got your, uh, got your cup of eggnog with you? It is creamy and delicious. All right, Dan, let's get this show going. Uh, before we get into our topic, I have a few announcements. Uh, first of all, we've made it to the end of 2016. Horn noise. <laughs> um, we've got a big year planned for 2017. We have no signs of slowing down yet. We're ready to keep the podcast going into the new year. And I just thought we could give people a little preview of some of the topics that we have on the docket for, for 2017. So a few things that we have coming to you in the new year. Uh, we're going to do an episode on how to use Twitter to expand your network. Your, your personal network, not just your social network, right? Well, I was thinking about how to expand your professional network. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I mean, it worked really well for Donald Trump, so... Yep, <laughs> can't go wrong. <laughs> More Twitter in the new year. Uh, and then I thought, you know, we had a listener question a while back, Dan. I wish we would have gotten to this before, about imposter syndrome. Oh, we have had lots of listener questions about imposter syndrome. It's, it's like one of the most requested topics. We've got to talk about it. It's, it's um, such an important aspect of graduate school, and it's such a weird phenomenon, but we all experience it. I would say we have had imposter syndrome about talking about imposter syndrome. That's true. We're not qualified to talk about imposter syndrome, are we? Everybody else is more qualified. I think that's true, but we're going to plow through and do it anyway. Okay, great. Uh, and then we're going to also share some cool new research that's coming out in early 2017 by yours truly. Horn noise. I got a paper accepted yeah. this week. Yeah, awesome. And as if that wasn't exciting enough, Dan, guess who's in the acknowledgement section? I hope it's me. I'm crossing my fingers. It's you. Fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for you. I'm, I think it's important for everybody to know you are still doing research, and you're doing research on the things that we talk about here. So, but Yeah, I think it's pretty crazy because I stepped out of the lab probably eight years ago. And so I've had, you know, there was one leftover paper from postdoc that came out several years ago, but then suddenly two papers this year. Yeah. It's crazy. Ongoing <laughs> research and um, lots of important findings on, on stuff that we talk about on the show. And so um, hopefully we're making some progress there. Yeah. I would say this show has even inspired me to learn more about some of these issues. Take the scientists out of the lab. You can't <laughs> take the lab. I, I, I don't know. Something like that. All right, Dan. So our topic this week. Uh, back in October, I might have mentioned this, I was in Vancouver, Canada at the American Society for Human Genetics meeting talking about some science outreach programs that I run. And I met a scientist by the name of Teresa Ramirez, who is a genetics and education fellow at the American Society for Human Genetics and also the National Human Genome Research Institute, which is a division of NIH. And she had a really neat story that I thought our listeners might enjoy hearing about. I know I enjoyed hearing about it. And these days, Dan, any person I meet that's halfway interesting, I'm like, we're going to have you on the podcast. You put a microphone <laughs> in their face and just start talking. I literally carry a recorder around with yeah. me everywhere. You have a t-shirt that says, save it for the show. <laughs> our listeners should know that uh, probably at least every other conversation I have with Dan, I'll start saying something he'll say, save it for the show, Josh. Yeah, don't, don't ruin it all at once. We literally talk... We don't talk at all outside of the show. It's better that way. So I thought what we could do today, Dan, is just hear that interview that I did with Teresa back in October. 
Yeah, that's great. And and there's there's going to be a lot in here um, for a lot of different people. Yeah, and it's a little bit of a, a preamble. Um, I had heard of Teresa. She she gave a talk at a previous meeting that I had attended, and the talk was called Straight Out of Compton to the Ivy League. So for those of you who may have heard of Compton, California, made famous outside of California by the movie Straight Out of Compton, but Teresa went to high school in Compton. Yeah, and she just had some really interesting things to share about her background and some of the challenges she faced as a student there, but the way she rose above a lot of that and found a lot of success in her career. All right, well, let's let's hear where it started, Josh. So my name is Dr. Teresa Ramirez. Um, I was born in Torrance, California, but originally I grew up in Compton, California. So like they say, straight out of Compton. And yes, straight out of Compton made it to an Ivy League for graduate school. But before we go to grad school, I attended Compton Senior High School. High school was not easy because, yes, I was the top of my class. Um, if I didn't know something, I would always ask for help because I wanted to understand what I was learning. It was not just about memorizing. I really wanted to understand, but also was picked on, kind of like bullied in a way because I was... I was called teacher's pet, I was called a nerd, but I thought, you know what, this nerd is gonna go to college and I don't care that you call me that way because years later, you can ask this nerd what she's doing. So that didn't stop me. And even though, yes, sometimes we had um, riots in the school versus African-American and Latino students were fighting or kids in gangs. And because I was not interested in that, Every time I came out, say I was helping at the attendance office, I was surprised. I was like, what's happening? Like, there's police officers, there's a helicopter. And I would always miss that because I was not into that. And luckily, there was um, students who were in gangs who were in my class, but when they used to see me at home, they were very respectful. They would always be like, hey, what's up, Teresa? So they respected me. But there was other kids that, because I guess they were jealous, they used, to, mm-hmm. they used to make fun of me, like, oh, you're a teacher's pet nerd. Yeah, I was going to ask you, so mm-hmm. about what percentage of students from your high school would you say went on to college? Ooh, very little. I, I don't know the percentage, the exact percentage, but there's a lot of students who either drop out of high school or they finished high school but did not pursue a college degree, and those that we did is a very small number. Very little. So what was different about you? Why were you not one of them? Um, I was different because as a kid, I, I don't know, I mean, it started since I was a, a kid. I, I would always carry a backpack with books and dolls. <laughs> and I didn't go to school until I was five. So one, one memory that my mom always reminds me is that when I was three years old, I would carry a backpack with books and I would be asked, where are you going? I'm going to school. So when I went to kindergarten for the first time as a five-year-old, I was super excited. I just liked school. And even throughout my schooling, my parents never had trouble for me to like do homework or just wake up to go to school. I was always happy to go to school. So to me, it's something, I don't know, it's just something that I was born with, I guess. But also um, seeing my parents working hard, I thought, you know, I want to do this not just for me but for my family and one day I want to be able to buy them a home I want to be able to take them to places to travel because they've worked so hard to get me to where I am so what was your first introduction to science 
Wow, that's a good question. Um, the first introduction to science was actually in the sixth grade. In the sixth grade, I participated in my first science fair. And the title of my, of my project, or the question that I asked was, do seeds contain oil? So I used that trifold um, cardboard that we used to use back oh, yeah, in the I days. This. <laughs> so I had like my introduction, my hypothesis, the materials. And in the middle, um, my mom helped me collect some dried seeds. And I had these index cards where I pasted, I wrote the name of the, of the seed, of the fruit where the seed came from. And then I smashed um, the seeds into the mm -hmm. index cards. So I had one index cards where I had half of it was with water and half of it was with oil. So when I smashed the card, I mean the seeds in the card, I would compare it. Oh, does it look like water? Does it look like oil? And uh, along the cardboard, I think I put this neon sort of green um, border mm -hmm. just to make it nice. So I didn't think that years later this was going to be very important. I was really excited about this project. I was excited to participate in my first science fair and I was awarded third place. Congratulations. So thank you and that was sort of the push or the beginning of what was to happen years later. So every time I still have this picture, every time I see it, I kind of get teary eye and also get like really happy that, wow, who would have thought that this Compton girl would actually become a scientist? Now, yeah, a scientist that is doing different things, has traveled to many places, and yes, straight out of Compton. <laughs> Dan, I just want to jump in really quick. You know, one thing that really thought was or really compelling to talk to Teresa about her high school experience is she would very nonchalantly talk about, oh yeah, and there were some, there were these riots going on and oh yeah, um, you know, gang members would stop me. And, and Dan, you can probably identify with this as a high schooler, especially as an adolescent. It's so hard to go against the norms, right? As you're just trying to fit in and, you know, whatever the environment is of your of your school and your friend circle, um, being an adolescent is usually not when you're you're trying to stand out. Certainly not, and not in a way that would, would draw the kind of attention that, uh, yeah, gets you more than just teased, more than just made fun of, but, um, yeah, maybe threatened. Yeah, and I want to share one story that, that Teresa shared with me, and I thought I had recorded it, but it must have been either right before or after I cut the recording off. But, you know, she talked about a day she was actually in school, in class, and someone had brought a, brought a gun to school, and it accidentally fired, and it actually, the bullet grazed her arm, and she actually showed me the scar where this had happened and, and the way she was sitting at her desk had, you know, the bullet been really just an inch or two one way or the other, it wouldn't have just grazed her arm, but it would have probably gone into her side. That's unbelievable. I don't know how you learn in that environment, let alone uh, succeed. So she, she was around to show you this scar and... She's a scientist now, so what happened? Yeah, so let's hear, let's hear some more of the story. I knew that I wanted to go to college, so, you know, students sometimes forget to ask questions. And we used to have someone, a uh, recruiter from Cal State Dominguez Hills, who used to come, Ms. Janice Brown. And one day, on a Thursday, when, which was the day that she used to come, I asked her, I said, Ms. Brown, do you have, like, a scholarship for students? I'm interested because I want to go to Cal State Dominguez Hills. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, there are, but I'm not sure. Let me find out. She came the next day with an, ap an application to the Presidential Scholarship. Wow. And she's like, Teresa, 
I have the scholarship. It's a full ride scholarship, but it's due Monday. Do you think you can have the application ready? And what day was this? This was a Friday, <laughs> and it was due Monday. And I thought, wow, I have to apply. I said, you know what? Yes, I'll have it ready. So I had to write a personal statement. I had to get a, um, a letter of recommendation, the official transcripts, and then filled out the, the application. Monday came. I had an envelope with all of the information, and I gave. she came to pick it up at my school. So I had everything ready for her. Months later, I get a letter stating, congratulations, you have been awarded the Presidential Scholarship at Cal State Dominguez Hills. Wow. So it was How did you it. feel when you saw that letter? I was happy because I am the first in my family to have applied and to go to um, college. And now to have obtained a college degree, and not only that, now a doctorate. So it was, it was really meaningful because at that time, my parents did not have the opportunity to go to school, to even graduate from high school or college. So they really, they, they know the importance of education and they really wanted me to go. And they said, you know, we'll make, we'll make it possible. If that means we'll sell the house to pay for your tuition. And I was like, no, they've worked so hard and they immigrated from Mexico to Los Angeles for a better life and for them to sell the house for me I said no I'm gonna figure it out I'm gonna find ways and I was very grateful and then you went on to college what was it like in being a college student because I imagine that was a very different environment than it was very different because growing up in Compton the main three ethnicities that you see and that I grew up with were African-American Latinos and American Samoans so going to college was something different. It was a new world where it was people from different cultural backgrounds. Um, it was just different ways of studying. I had to learn different habit, habits of how to study and to ask for, for help. Because, I, I mean, I'm a student that wasn't afraid of asking help, but sometimes it was a little intimidating because I felt like, oh, my gosh, I'm here with all these, like, smart kids, and I'm coming from Compton. Like, I'm really, I felt like I was really behind. But the inner me was like, no, you're here for a reason, and you're here to learn, and that's not going to stop you. So obviously we know now you ended up going on to graduate school, but when did you... When did you realize, oh, I think I want to go on and get my Ph.D. in science? I wanted to go to med school, but when I was in college, I had the opportunity to go to um, with one of my neighbors to the hospital. She was having a baby, and unfortunately, the baby was diagnosed with Down syndrome. So she didn't speak English, so she needed somebody to come with her, so she said I was her um her cousin. So I came in to the ICU where all like the little newborns and sick babies were and that was an eye-opener because I am a very happy person I love kids but going into the ICU I realized that I'm a very sentimental person and to be working with kids or babies that were sick or that maybe couldn't make it I, I don't I didn't think I could handle that so to me that was sort of like awakening like oh are you sure you really want to go into pediatrics so that was one question. But then after I graduated from Cal State Dominguez Hills, I didn't think I was ready to go to med school. So I decided to take time off and attending a conference known as um, SACNAS, Society for the Advancement of Chicanos and Native Americans in Science, I learned about post-bac, post-bac programs. So I decided to apply to a post-bac program. 
but I only applied one. <laughs> I should have applied to more, uh -huh. um, but I only applied to one known as the Introduction to Cancer Careers at NIH, and luckily I was accepted. <laughs> so I did that program, and that's where I did more research, more biomedical research, cancer research through um, the National Cancer Institute, and that's where I got motivated, like, hey, you know, I think I can do or I can touch more lives through my research mm -hmm. if I pursue a PhD rather than me going for an MD. And then the best thing about it, when I learned about it, was that everything's paid for regardless of where you come from, regardless of your cultural background. The PhD in the sciences is paid for. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know what, I don't owe any money as an undergrad and I don't want to owe any money as a grad student. So that's yeah. when I decided to go for a PhD. So then where did you end up? I ended up at Brown University, but let me tell you, before I ended up at Brown University, I'm originally, you know, from California, from Los Angeles, Compton, California, and I applied to California schools. I didn't get accepted to California, the California schools that I wanted to go to, but when I applied to outside schools, they all accepted me, but Brown accepted me, like, right away. So I decided to go to the school that really wanted me to be there. And not only that, they invited me for a second time to come see Brown. Oh, wow. So I decided that's the school I'm going to. And I'm glad I did because I had a great experience, a great time at Brown. But I, I made the best of my experience as a grad student at Brown. I started the Brown University Sackness chapter there. I was really involved with um, mentoring programs there, peer mentoring programs where I was mentoring the undergrads at Brown. It was really meaningful doing community outreach in Providence, Rhode Island. Like it, it was it was a great experience. Were there any challenges in graduate school? Oh, there's always challenges. I think life wouldn't be unique if there weren't any challenges. And sometimes students think like, oh, he or she is so successful. Like it was a straight path. No, there's always going to be challenges. I mean, if I can be here telling you thousands of stories because I have stories that I can share. Um, in grad school, my third year, I had to switch labs um, due to funding. And it was really stressful. But not only that, um, I'm gonna share something that now I feel comfortable sharing with people and I use it as sort of to teach others that regardless of any obstacle or regardless of any negative comments, things in life are possible if the person is determined. Um, I was told by a professor that I didn't have the skills that were needed to be in a PhD program, but yet with a master's degree that I could make such a big difference in my Latino community. It was really hurtful, but now with pride when I look back, I said, you know, it's okay that that happened. It made me stronger and it made me more determined to know and to be able to go for for my, my dreams. And not only um, as a grad student, we were required to publish a first author paper, I didn't publish one first author paper. I published three with the help of my research advisor. And when I go and I talk to students, I always tell them, you know, there's going to be people who might not believe in you, but as long as you believe in yourself, things are possible in life. And that's the story that I share with them. So how did it feel when you got that PhD? Oh, when I got my PhD, that was the most memorable, the, the most happiest day of my life because my parents were there at my defense and my heart was beating so fast that I was, 
I was so happy. I was really happy because it wasn't just a degree for me, but it was my parents. And to see them there was really, really meaningful. And not only that, even at the graduation, like there's pictures that I could show you, like how my face looked, like a big old smile. And at the same time, very emotional because um, when I first hugged my parents, I gave them my degree. I said, this is your degree. It was really, really meaningful. You're going to make me cry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just briefly tell me, what have you been up to since you got your PhD? So when I finished my PhD, um, actually before I finished my PhD, I came to the National Institute of Health. There was a graduate uh, research symposium which where I had applied and I got accepted to come and present my research work as a grad student. So while that was happening and I was coming to the NIH, I reached out to my um, postback mentor and the people that I knew. And the director of the postback program was like, hey, you're in the alcohol research field. Have you talked to such and such person? And actually, that was a person that I really wanted to contact, but I didn't know how to because I thought, oh, this person is at the NIH, is the chief of the liver disease laboratory. Like, how do I contact him? And you never know, like I said, when you meet people. Well, the post-bag director was like, you know, let me introduce you to such and such person. He's a collaborator. So I'm gonna forward him your abstract. And that's how I got connected to the person that I ended up doing a post postdoc at the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. So you should always maintain those connections. Always. Even if it's a quick hello, you don't have to have like a massive email just to say, hello, Dr. So-and-so, I just want to give you a quick update. This is what I'm doing. Or even to wish someone a happy Thanksgiving day. Mm-hmm. Something simple, mm-hmm. just to keep the, the, the connection. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the position you're in now. So, as, a, as <clears throat> I mean, this goes way back when I graduated from, from high school. I always love helping my community. Mm-hmm. And I've learned this through my parents where They've taught me to serve the community without any pay. Um, so I came back to high school to help students with college and scholarship and financial aid applications. So it's something that to me is normal. So I do a lot of community outreach. And as a postdoc, I continue doing that. But I thought, you know, in life, I want to make this transition of doing science education, being able to be a leader in the sciences. And a friend of mine called me one day. She used to work at the NIH. Um, Debbie Cohen and she said Teresa I came across this fellowship that is exactly what you want to do it's in genetics and at first I got scared because I thought I'm not a geneticist but then me being the person that I am I said you know what I'm gonna give it a try so it's genetics and science education through the uh, American Society of Human Genetics and the National Human Genome Research Institute and I applied and I said if it's meant to be it'll happen if not at least I tried. And that's one thing that I've, that I've learned throughout my career is to just give it a try because you never know. And I got the position. So now I'm doing a lot more community outreach, but it's through my, my job, my new job, my new that's fellowship. Great. So I have one last thing. Most of our listening audience are graduate students, postdocs, people who are sort of in the science training path. What, what advice do you have for people who are still in grad school, still in their postdoc, thinking about their careers, maybe going through challenges, what advice do you have for them? I have many advices. (laughs) First of all is to never, never give up. 
to be proud of what they have what they have accomplished but also to be able to surround themselves with positive people and if there's things that they need to ask to never be afraid of asking questions because sometimes we sort of lack that confidence of like oh am i good enough or who can i talk to or who can i trust the the word trust is it's a big thing they have to feel that they have this trust with people that they bring into their lives but to never be afraid of asking questions um, if it wasn't for those mentors that I trusted I don't know what would have happened when I switched labs and also the people that I shared when I was told that I couldn't do it I only shared it with like two people that I trusted in grad school and they gave me hope they said you're here for a reason and we have your back we're gonna help you so knowing that helped me to work to continue working hard and to not give up so that's my advice to never give up even when you think that the mountain is so high to reach and if you fall just get up and continue going all right dan that was my interview with Teresa. well that was absolutely fascinating what a wild ride yeah and you know the thing that you know a couple things that stood out to me dan the first is you know do you remember do you remember the day you got your phd i vaguely remember giving my defense yes yeah, and your family was probably there, right? They were, yeah. Yeah, same for me. Um, but the thing that was so evident, I hope it came through um, in the interview, but definitely sitting there as she was, you know, the look on her face as she was remembering the day that she got her PhD and her family was there, it just really stood out to me that, Joy, this was the one of the best days of my life, not just for myself, but just being able to do that for my family who sacrificed so much to help her get where she was, how really that joy was as much for them as it was for her. I thought that was really, really cool. They had to be floored. I mean, I I don't have adult children, obviously, but I have little children and my toddler goes to a swimming lesson and my heart's just like bursting (laughs) with pride that he, you know, went underwater or something like that. I I just can't imagine to, to think about her parents seeing her achieve that level of, of success and training. I mean, there are, there are not a lot of people that have PhDs and not a lot of people that uh, do what she did. And it's, it's really incredible. Yeah, very incredible. And, and so my hope in sharing that story, one, I thought every person's individual story and every person's individual path and motivations and challenges are unique. That's actually what's cool of the human condition is from person to person, we all have a different story and they're all highly interesting and, and Teresa's is no different. But I, you know, I found a lot of inspiration just in seeing the the joy and the pride that she had for that degree really helped me to remember like, yeah, this really is quite an accomplishment because I think sometimes you can reach the end of graduate school. And I know this was true for us and probably for a lot of other people too. You're a little bit disenchanted. You're a little bit like Grouchy. finally it's over yeah <laughs> like oh that was a waste but really it is a big deal it is an accomplishment and i've found myself being inspired by the pride and excitement that teresa so evidently showed about her own phd yeah i think good to remember around this season around the new year as you're reflecting on the year past take stock enjoy the fact that that you're in this program that you're you're getting this training and appreciate that it is really special yeah absolutely dan and actually you know, heard from a couple of listeners after you shared the the story about um, someone in your life who was was going through some health challenges um, and kind of the importance of research, how it can be a very slow and at times frustrating task, but we can lose sight of the big picture and the importance of, of what we're all doing and providing for the world. So I think it's great to keep that in mind. All right. Well, um, celebrate uh, everybody and enjoy the season. We're certainly celebrating over here. 
And I'm going to celebrate with one more glass of this delicious, fresh eggnog. Okay, fill it up because I don't have an etymology puzzle for you, but I do have the answer to last week's etymology puzzle and an etymology story. Oh, fantastic. I love a story. Okay, so you remember the clue last week, Josh, was this mysterious group of ancient oak knowers originated many of our modern Christmas traditions. The Oak Knowers. That's my the new That's my new bluegrass band that I'm starting. That would not be bad. Uh, okay, so the answer was Druid. You heard of the Druids? So Druid comes from an a ancient root, a Proto-Indo-European. Drew, which means tree, and particularly oak, uh, and wid, to know. So Oak Knowers. And uh, they got this name. So the Druids were a, a kind of mi- really mysterious group of educated people in the Iron Age, um, Gaulish and Celtic people, and they left zero written records themselves, and there are no artifacts that can be directly attributed to them. So kind of a weird, weird that we even know that they existed, but other people, um, Greeks and Roman people wrote about them. They were like the, they were like the perfect campers where you leave no trace. Yeah, well maybe, yeah, except in history at all, for the whole group of them. Maybe they didn't really exist. Maybe they didn't. Except that we have some writings from other people. So apparently the Druids, you know, we have mistletoe for Christmas around here where you hang it up and people kiss under it. You didn't see the mistletoe hanging up in the studio? Uh, I'm trying to avoid it. Wait a second. (laughs) I'm checking the... Just kidding. We're safe. So this whole notion of us putting mistletoe in the house comes from the Druids. And uh, I just wanted to read this excerpt from Pliny the Elder. You remember him? I'm I'm a big Pliny fan. Well, you liked the uh, Pliny the Younger, but it's fine. Um, Pliny the Elder wrote about their mistletoe collection ceremony. I just thought I'd read this because it's kind of random and bizarre. Yeah. Pliny wrote, The Druids, that is what they call their magicians, hold nothing more sacred than the mistletoe and a tree on which it is growing, provided it is a hard-timbered oak. That's where our oak knowers come from. Mistletoe is rare, and when found, it is gathered with great ceremony, and particularly on the sixth day of the moon. Hailing the moon in a native word that means healing all things, they prepare a ritual sacrifice and banquet beneath a tree, and bring up two white bulls, whose horns are bound for the first time on this occasion. A priest arrayed in white vestments climbs the tree and, with a golden sickle, cuts down the mistletoe, which is caught in a white cloak. Then, finally, they kill the victims, praying to a god to render his propitious gift on them who has bestowed it. They believe that mistletoe given in drink will impart fertility to any animal that is barren and that is an antidote to all poisons. So this whole hanging up and kissing, like I think we should get two bulls and we should like cut it down with a golden sickle and... So wait, the victims, that was the bulls? That was the bulls, Okay, yeah. <laughs> it was a little worth there who they were. No, although there, there are some uh, people who believe that they did human sacrifices, so good group of people to hang out with at the next christmas party so think of that next time you uh, hang the mistletoe yeah and it's totally weird that they they thought this was a treatment for fertility and antidote to poisons mistletoe contains uh toxins that actually can inhibit the uh 50s ribosomal protein so it, like it actually inhibits protein synthesis and will kill you well just like scientists, the druids, sometimes their hypotheses did not pan out. Little little bit might be okay. Would not load up on mistletoe. Good to know. That's why they hang it so high, so you don't eat yeah, it. You don't get it, yep. yeah. All right, Dan. Well, just wanted to say happy holidays. And also, I wanted to remind listeners, with the holiday season, if you've got some last-minute shopping to do, you can click through our Amazon banner on the side of our page, hellophd.com. And you will pay the same prices at amazon.com, but we'll get a little kickback that will help with the cost of the show. Also, in the new year, I mentioned some topics we're going to do, but we definitely need some more, and we would love to answer your questions. So if you have any questions or ideas 
of your own that you'd like to hear us talk about on the show, please email us, podcast at hellophd.com, or send us a tweet at hellophd, and we'll talk about it on the show. And Josh, we'll see you in the new year, I guess. See you next year.